Welcome to another broadcast of Hope for the Heart. My name is William Rogers, and I'll be continuing the teaching of the book of Revelation. We're going through verse by verse through this uh, wonderful book, and I'm in today, chapter 16. Uh, Last week I was in chapter 16, uh, verses 10 and 11, and today, for our context, it's going to be verses 12 through 16. And so if you have a copy of uh, God's Word there with you, I invite you to open them and follow along as I read uh, verses 12 through 16 of Revelation chapter 16. Let me begin. The Word of God reads, beginning in verse 12 of Revelation chapter 16. And the sixth angel poured out his bowl upon the great river, the Euphrates, and his water was dried up, that the way might be prepared for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are spirits of demons, performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world, to gather them together for the war of the great day of God the Almighty. Parentheses, verse 15. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his garments lest he walk about naked and men see his shame. And they gather them together to the place which is in Hebrew called Har-Mageddon. You know, I think uh, all through uh, my earlier years in studying prophecy and as far back as I can remember in reading Bible, this has always been known as the Battle of Armageddon. In fact, it's uh, Hollywood has portrayed this. In fact, there's a movie out. I've, in fact, I actually saw it here a couple of months ago. It's called Armageddon. I think it stars uh, Bruce Willis. I think that's the guy's name. But he stars in this, and at one point they refer to what the action they've got to take of a large asteroid coming to Earth, and uh, they ask what this thing was, basically the event was going to be called. They said, what is this? This is Armageddon. And then one of the guys, uh, actors in there said, the end of all things. Well, it's... It's not really the end of all things, but uh, it will be a tremendous event that's uh, worthy of our looking at. And I hope to correct some of the things today because my subject today is Armageddon. I'm entitling the passage or this title of the message today, Armageddon, A Deadly Result. And so I want to explain that and hopefully get some things straight because there's a lot of misunderstanding concerning Armageddon. And so I hope if I can clear up some of this as best I can. I want you to know right up front that that this message will not answer all your questions that might be generated from a look at just the actual words in the scriptures. And for sure, not going to be answering all of the questions that might be generated just from you thinking about this or, or hearing other sermons. But we're going to do the best we can as we go through this. I may even have to do this in one, two, or even three messages. So I'll get as far as I can today as we we look at this. So we've already looked at the first five bold judgments. We're in the middle of the bold judgments, actually toward the end of the bold judgments. This is the sixth bold judgment as it starts out in verse 12. It says, and the sixth angel poured out his bowl and the result happens. And so we've looked at the first five. The first one brought uh, malignant sores on everyone. The second bold judgment, this is all found in Revelation 16. The second bold judgment caused the world's oceans to be polluted so that everything in them dies. The third caused the world's fresh water to be polluted so it too is deadly. The fourth bowl caused scorching sunlight. 
as God turns up the heavenly thermostat and cooks the world. Uh, I can't. I, I just can't imagine just going through these four bowls how bad that's going to be. But researchers say that even the fifth bowl is going to be a horrible, horrible time. And it's the fifth bowl which brings about darkness which covers the entire globe. And last week we looked at this. This is almost like a darkness so thick that you can feel it as uh, compared to the uh, localized darkness of the uh, Israelites being released from the bondage of Egypt in Exodus. This is going to be a universal uh, darkness. In fact, all of these are. They all affect the whole world. And the thing I want to begin with right here is to, to remind you, this is a judgment. This is a judgment of God, and it is not to be, you, you don't need to try to figure out if, it, if certain things are going to happen a certain way, or is it symbolic for something else. We take it for literally the verse uh, or the words to be literally true to what they are as best we can. Like, let me give you an example. It says in verse 13, of Revelation 16. I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. And we know that is uh, Satan and we know that is the Antichrist and the false prophet. We know that from Revelation 13. But look at what it says. Out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits. Then it says, like, L-I-K-E, frogs. Well, that tells us that you don't take the frogs literal. You take everything else literal uh, to to the uh, already to what they have explained these to be, but here it's like frogs. It's not actual frogs, and I, I've heard several people in the reading this week. I've read something like twenty six references or commentaries on this particular subject, and several people call them frogs are the messengers that go out and bring the message. Well, that that's not true. So I hope to correct or clear up some things as we go through this because this is an exciting chapter. As far as uh, seeing something that's going to be happening to the world uh, in the sense that it's prophetic and it hasn't happened yet, and we can already begin to see how the scenario could be played out. But in even playing out that scenario, we have to be careful because realize that the world scene and the judgment or, or the nations that are aligned at that time, uh, the leadership at that time might be a little different than what it is now. This is a judgment that God is pronouncing upon the world at that particular time, and it's the sixth bowl judgment. And so as we look at this, I want to begin today by giving you just a very brief outline. Again, and my title is Armageddon, A Deadly Result. And the first thing I want you to notice, number one on the outline, is there's a river. A river is involved here. But I want to give you a quote from John Phillips first. He talks about the Battle of Armageddon because that's the way people refer to it. Uh, to connected to these, uh, this bowl is what has always been referred to as the Battle of Armageddon, except that it's not technically a battle. I want to read you something uh, that, that I like. Uh, Amir actually says this in his book, and I want you to see this. He says the Battle of Armageddon is really a misnomer, and he's absolutely correct. There is nowhere in Scripture that those words are used together. What words? Battle and Armageddon. <clears throat> They're just not used together. John, in verse 14, calls this war the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Armageddon is simply the rally point. The target is Jerusalem. And so that's what we're looking at. We're looking at this that people call an event. And really, Armageddon is a place. 
It is the place where these armies will be gathered, and we're hopefully going to clear up exactly what all these are as we get into this this week and perhaps the next two weeks. But John Phillips says this. He said it's a monumental event. He said it's a very sad, uh, a very sad end to the judgments of God. But here's what he says. The Holy Land has been chosen by God as the stage upon which two crucial events take place. You see, he's even calling it an event. Uh, one on a mountain and one on a plain. Mount Calvary and the plain of Megiddo are the two altars of sacrifice that dominate the history of the world. Both are bloodbaths. Both are uh, descent from the wrath upon sin. Both are brought about by God's bitterest foes from each proceeds a supper, one a feast of remembrance for the people of God, and the other a feast of retribution for the carrion. At Mount Calvary, there, there rang up gates of heaven, a victorious cry, it is finished. At the plain of Armageddon, there rings down to earth an answering cry, it is done. And so there are some parallels here, and this, uh, this worthy to, to look at as we get into this. And so as we begin here, I want you to notice, number one, there is a river. Look at what it says in verse 12. And the sixth angel poured out his bowl upon the great river, the Euphrates, and the water was dried up that the way might be prepared for the kings from the east. Now, it's very interesting to notice that the sixth angel pours out his bowl uh, upon the Euphrates, the great river is called many times in Scripture. The sixth angel is the one pronouncing the judgment or pouring out his bowl of wrath. And so it's the next to the last one. There are seven bowls of wrath. We've looked at five. This is number six. And so the great river Euphrates is the recipient of the part of this uh, judgment here. And you would think it's going to be a blessing in that day, but it's really going to be a trap. And so uh, it's, it's just fascinating to see all this. And I, I've even read uh, some of these things, these commentaries where they say, I don't, we don't know how it's going to dry up. It's like quote here from Amir even says, while we don't know how the Euphrates becomes dry, we do know why. Well, we do know how it gets dry. This is a judgment from God. God pronounces a judgment upon this river. This isn't the first time, by the way, the judgment of the book of Revelations that Euphrates has been mentioned. We know we, we, we found this being mentioned in Revelation chapter 9, verse 14, where the sixth angel who had a trumpet blew it at the appropriate time, and we saw the release of 200 million demons. Uh, terribly frightening would that even, it, it is to even read that coming upon the earth. So the river Euphrates has always played a part in God's plan. Now here, uh, specifically, this is a, a, a bold judgment. That's what I, I have to keep mentioning that because it seems like so many writers forget that this is actually a judgment. This is not natural circumstances happening because of... Uh, of, of, of all the situations on earth. This is a severe judgment set aside for this particular reason that we're going to be giving to you here. But this great river Euphrates, it's called the Great River because, in fact, it is 1,800 miles long. I wish you could get your uh, map, and sometimes I even just look at my weather map and open it up and go over to the land of Israel and then open that up and see where some of these places are because they all are labeled believe it or not, on my weather map. And so that's an easy place for me to go. 
But if you, if you got a good Bible dictionary, you can look at it. It's 1,800 miles long. It runs from north to south. In fact, it's the headwaters are found in no other place other than Mount Ararat. Now, I don't know if that name means anything to you, but that is the place where the Noah's Ark landed after uh, the flood upon the earth. The summit of Mount Ararat is somewhere around 17,000 feet. It's snow-capped all year long. The headwaters of the great river Euphrates River, uh, Euphrates river began there, and they flow down here all the way to the Gulf of the Arabian Sea, clear across the Middle East in what is known as the Fertile Crescent. And so this is a major river. And so part of the judgment here is to dry it up. And we're going to explain what that's actually going to mean. This is a great Middle Eastern river along another sort of twin river called the Tigris. And I, I, it's very interesting to look these up because uh, of what they mean to us. Or they should mean to us if we're readers of Scripture. Uh, they formed the lifeblood of the ancient Fertile Crescent area where once was the Garden of Eden in that area. Uh, you can go back to Genesis, and you will see they, they are, these are listed there. It was a very flourishing, flowering, beautiful place. The Euphrates River, by the way, is a very important in the plan of God. We, we, we know it's in the plan of God because he's always mentioning it. Uh, you can see it's the actual eastern boundary of the original land God has given to Israel and will give back to Israel uh, not long from where we are in the book of Revelation, we're going to uh, be studying the kingdom, and that's when they get their full boundaries back. But we can find the actual eastern boundary listed in Genesis 15, Deuteronomy chapter 1, Joshua 1, Deuteronomy chapter 11. The Euphrates is the eastern boundary. Now you look at what their eastern boundary is now, and it's just a fraction of the land that is actually theirs that God gave them. And so you think, wow, man, they have all this land. All the way to the Euphrates River would encompass what is today all Arab territory. Uh, you can see, begin to, begin to understand why there's so much fighting and uh, going on over there. And, of course, you know, we have different presidents that come on the scene and different leaders around the world that want to uh, give up more land. Uh, but I'm not going to go there. By the way, in three of those Old Testament references that I just mentioned to you, it's also called the Great River Euphrates. So, by that I'm just telling you that it plays a very important role in the boundary that God has uh, for the people of Israel. And, and this is where this judgment is focused. It's focused on a river. That's why the first point in my outline is the River Euphrates. It involves a river. Now, the prophet talked about it in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 25. The Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt. He will wave his hand over the river with a scorching wind, and he will strike it uh, into seven streams and make men walk over on dry land. Interesting. Interesting. We see it right there in Isaiah, a prophecy related to what we're reading in Isaiah, I mean in Revelation chapter 16. And there will be a highway from Assyria, from Assyria, uh, there is a statement by Isaiah that God is going to dry up the Euphrates River. It's written right there in Isaiah so many years before. Now, what happens here, I want you to notice. Let's see if we can put this together. Uh, because here in time, God's going to dry up the river. The bowl is poured out upon it. And it says this water was dried up. Now, I want you to remember something. By the time this happens, uh, the Euphrates River is not going to be exactly like it is right now. 
Right now, it may be at a certain level. I think uh, I read where the, it's given the, the depth of it. It's not that deep of a river, but at this particular time, when this judgment is poured out to dry it up, it's going to need to be dried up because it says, and there's a reason there, but also it's going to need to be dried up if anybody's going to get anywhere near anything around the river Euphrates because of the judgment of the fourth bowl of judge, the fourth bowl poured out. In the fourth bowl, angel poured out in verse 8 of Revelation 16. I want you to see this upon the sun, and it was given to scorch men with fire. Men were scorched with the fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has the power over the plagues, and they did not repent so as to give him glory. Now, we said in that fifth, fourth bowl that the rivers and the ice caps and snow uh, regions of the world are going to be melting. With that kind of scorching heat going on, it's going to melt the cap, especially snow-capped snow mountains. That's a tongue twister. Uh, and the glaciers will... Uh, way up in the mountains of Ararat in the surrounding area, which is going to cause the Euphrates River all the way down that 1,800 uh, miles is going to be uh, swollen and uh, the, the whole fertile crescent area to become a massive floodplain. So whatever bridges, whatever access is, is access that river now, it will surely be useless when the snowpack around the, the mountains and all those areas and Swamp land below all the way down to the Gulf of the Arabian Sea is going to be just massively swollen. And so it's going to be an interesting thing. And in fact, it's going to be an obvious uh, work of a, super, a supernatural because it's going to go from one minute being at its peak in the floods of, of the uh, judgment of the fourth judgment, bowl judgment, to instantly... Uh, we read in verse 12, the sixth bowl is poured out. I'm going to just read this to you again. The sixth angel poured out his bowl upon the great river, the Euphrates, and its water was dried up. In fact, we get the implication from reading that, that it was immediate. It was dried up. And of course, Isaiah says that uh, he even tells us that, that it's dried up immediately because of the wind that comes across, and he waves his hand over it and dries it up. And that's no problem for God. I mean, after all, look at what he did for the Red Sea. It was instantaneously, the waters began to separate, and they walked across on dry land. And then as they get across, the waters, the walls collapse onto the Egyptian army. So this is not a problem for God. So number one on this in this judgment is it involves a river, the great river Euphrates in verse 12. Number two is there's a reason stated. Number one was a, a, a river involved. Number two is a reason stated. And we see that in verse 12. He says that the way might be prepared for the kings of the east. Now, you got to understand that this is something that God is doing. And we're going to see this a little bit, little bit further on in this particular passage. But there's something else going on here. And so in order for all of the rest of this to happen, which we're going to see in just a minute, this has to happen first. The Euphrates River has to be dried up because people and armies are going to need to march across because they're coming to this place called Armageddon. So 
what is it that drives them to want to come? Because let, let me let me tell you something. This is this is where it gets difficult. I want to explain that these judgments, when you read chapter 16 and you read these first five bold judgments, these things that I begin the message with, whether it be the sores, whether it be the waters turning into blood, the oceans and everything dies, or whether it be the scorching hot sun that's just beating down on people, and then the darkness, all of these results are going to last through till the second coming. In other words, when we look at the this sixth bold judgment, beginning in verse 12 through 16, all the results of the other judgments are still intact. In other words, they, these men still have their sores. Even though God has now turned out the lights and brought a, uh, a uh, just a, a global uh, dark out upon the earth, a blackout upon the earth, the heat is still there. The scorching heat is going to melt all of this that I talked about, but it's going to also think about what that does. So you have to ask this question uh, arises for, for any commentary uh, writer, any commentator, or any student of this kind is, what makes these people come? What is it that's going to bring these armies together? We know that because we know a little bit about Armageddon, even before we get to this passage. But why are they coming? They are going to be coming uh, in the, the darkness that you can pretty much feel. Uh, they're going to be coming with the sores on their bodies. They're going to be coming with... They're not going to be able to see. Water has pretty much dried up. That means uh, that... Uh, any water that they might need to drink is going to be have to be water that they've already had in store or stocked up somewhere because the water is 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 a problem, and so you have to ask, well, gosh, what is it that's going to bring these armies? And we're talking millions of people pouring into this area for a a, a war. Uh, that he's referred to here, and we'll see that in just a few minutes in verse 14. But the question becomes, it says to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Uh, well, why would they want to come, is the question. They're, they're coming across on dry land, but maybe that God had to dry it up because two reasons. One, they would have walked blindly because it's dark right into the water. Or, or number two, he's doing it to, because there's some other bigger plan here. But the kings of the east, and this is what gets people so confused. East here, when we look at east, we all, you can pick up probably any commentary and you're going to see that most will say it's a direct reference to China, Chinese or otherwise. Some say this, uh, it's a de another demon army, uh, but I, I think that's, uh, we saw that in Revelation chapter 9. I don't think this is going to be a demon army. But everywhere in Scripture, we have to stay consistent in our interpretation of this. So when it says everywhere else in Scripture, east always refers to the Mesopotamian Valley or Assyria and Babylon. Consistency, I think, would demand that verse 12-2 be a reference to the Mesopotamia and not to China. Now, China is east of even them, but it, they may be sending an army, which I think they will because they fall into the category of verse 14. 
But the fact that the Antichrist capital city of Babylon will sit on the banks of the Euphrates River uh, further, I think, is proof and evidence to the fact that the kings who come from the east will be Mesopotamian kings. And we're, we're, we're going to get into a lot more of this later. I can't cover all of that now. Uh, but it is going. It is so interesting to see how this is shaping up, where even if it were to happen now, without this special judgment happening here, these other things put on the back burner, you still got the possibility of, uh, of a world war coming in. And we, we hear it all the time. You hear it on the news. Um, with what's happened in the Ukraine and what's happened in Russia, and then you, you, you add into that just a little twist of what's going on in Germany and Turkey and uh, these Arab nations and Israel. Man, you, you've got a very volatile world right now. And then us as America getting weaker and weaker. We're even cutting our defense spending. Oh, it's just it's amazing. Absolutely amazing. So I'm not going to get into all that. But the point here is that the kings of the East doesn't just mean China. It can mean China, and think I think it does mean China, but I don't want to overlook the Mesopotamian uh, area or valley here, or plains, Assyria and Babylon, especially since the Antichrist is there, and he is going to supply a major part of this. So the Euphrates will dry up to make it easier for, the I think, the Antichrist Babylonian forces to maneuver around and come towards their target. I think that's what we're seeing here. And so they, they are coming across, and, and here's what's interesting. This is a judgment. You got to remember that everything else is, is a different kind of a judgment, but this one dries up the river and actually becomes an advantage for the armies coming from whether it be Assyria, Babylon, or China. All of them could be uh, in, in place there. I think uh, uh, several people have different kinds of interpretations on this, but uh, we, we can see here that these are going to be coming, and it is, uh, it, we think at, at the time they're not going to be able to say, or probably would not say, they think it's a trap. So we get into verse 13. And we have already seen a river's involved. A reason in this, that, that the river's involved in this judgment takes place is to dry up the way for the kings of the east. But then number three, there's the revelation here. And the revelation is this. Uh, it says, verse 13, I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits, like, as I said, frogs. A terrible-looking vision. If it would be not hard at all for Hollywood to be able to produce something here, it would be gross and unable to even look at. But he's talking about, as we saw in Revelation chapter 13, Satan, uh, who is the dragon, the beast, who is the Antichrist, and the false prophet. We saw uh, a lot of what they do and their work in the Revelation 13. The one who points to the Antichrist, builds an image to him, and gets the whole world to worship him, uh, is the false prophet. He sees the unholy trinity of Satan. This is what John is seeing here. And out of their mouth <coughs> comes unclean spirits like slimy frogs. Or you might think, well, why out of the mouth? Well, the mouth is the seat of influence. It's speech. And so they're going to come with, with words that are going to be, first thing I think of is detestable, uh, mulky or out of the mire, slimy. Uh, emblematic of what's coming out of them that you, you just relate to frogs. Frogs always have that kind of a, a picture with a... In fact, a lot of the countries had 
gods who were, were, were pictured as frogs. But they're detestable, unclean things, according to Leviticus chapter 11. To the Persians, the frog was a, was a, a terrible thing. It was, it was a god of evil and the agent of all plagues. That's how they looked at them. But I want you to understand, these are not real frogs. These are demons seducing spirits, spreading lies and deception. That's what we see here. That's the major emphasis of this judgment. God's preparing the way for these people, these three, to work. The unholy trinity of Satan himself. Satan, the, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. This is what's at work here in verse 13. So what are they doing? What's the point? Well, why do these eastern kings, why do the powers of the east come in the scorching, blazing heat of the desert? Why do they come in the this darkness is so dark you, you could feel it? Why do they come with all of their sores on their bodies? Why do they come with no water to drink except what they may have stored up? Why do they come? Why, why, why? Well, here's why. Because they've been induced, they've been influenced by these demons that have gone out. You say, well, what is Satan's plan? Well, perhaps he's got a plan to attack Jerusalem, destroy the Jews, as we said. But there's another bigger plan that we see from so many other verses of Scripture. But the point here in this particular outline, in this particular point for this message, next week we'll get into more, is that these are spirits of demons. And they go out convincing. Here's what they do. They convince the kings of the east to come. But look at what it says in verse 14. For they are spirits of demons, there you go, performing signs, which we saw in Revelation 13. They're able to do and convince people while they go, which go out to, here it is, the kings of, watch this, the whole world. So in other words, the rivers dried up for the kings of the east so that they can have a path into the valley of Armageddon. But the rest of the kings in the world will have other paths and they're going to be coming as well. And the reason is because of the seducing spirits of demons. They convince the kings of the rest of the world to come. They're giving signs which can be interpreted as magic, trickery, or deception, and perhaps even supernatural. We've seen that. They, uh, Revelation 13 performed great signs, uh, such as a miracle worker in drawing attention to the, the dragon and the beast. So because of their signs, these false, uh, the false prophet has the power to do this because he too is demonically energized. All three are. You've got Satan, the beast, and the false prophet. Uh, and so here come some others with their wonders and the convincing that they deceive the great kings and they come in with all their powerful armies. But what is they? What is Satan telling these leaders of other parts of the world to do? Why is he bringing them here? Man, I mean, we can find so much here in, in, in this. And I'm just going to give you the gist of this. But this is the number three. The revelation is that the, they're being inspired to come. They're being enticed to come by demons. They're not just coming on their own because world conditions have gotten bad. They're not just coming to fight over the famine and the pestilence all over the world. They're not coming because of all the other things. They're coming because this is a judgment of God. Now, all those things are going to play into part, and we see so much in the, the scriptures about this, but then I want you to see real quick before I run out of time, number four, a result. A result is recognized. You've got uh, a river, a uh, a river is involved, or Euphrates, a reason is stated, which is the preparation for the king, so the rest 
of the east, specifically. Three, a revelation that these are spirits of demons influencing kings to come, uh, performing signs and wonders to draw them there, to come for this great battle. As the battle says, it is the... To gather them together for the war of the great day of God, the Almighty. Now, let me just give you an idea of what that basically is. They're coming to fight God. That's why they're coming. They're coming to fight God. They're coming to do battle with God. And somehow the demons, by virtue of their signs and wonders and great power, convince these armies and these kings and these leaders and generals all over the globe that there's enough power in their favor and on their side to do God in. And to be honest, they don't have much of a choice. They're just following the deception. Now, I hate to have to stop, and I will promise you I will pick this up next time. But please, if you have any, anyone that might be interested in this, it might uh, benefit from this, tell them about this. Y'all listen to this, and not just to hear me, but to hear the Word of God. And I will, I'm, I'm using uh, people like Amir and... And uh, I'm even using people like Arnold Frutenbaum to, to help straighten out some of the misgivings about uh, the, the Armageddon and all that's involved. And maybe we can see some real truth in this. And uh, folks, we're, we're, we're already so close to this, but I'm going to have to close out. So for now, this is William Rogers thanking you for joining us today. Uh, for another broadcast of Hope for the Heart. We're continuing our study of the book of Revelation. Next week, we will continue in these verses. And wait till you get to the seventh bold judgment. I can't wait. Thank you so much.